Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.39 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 10th of May, 2022, and this is episode 587 of Bitcoin. And what did you think about that ride yesterday? Holy shit. And like I was saying, I'm pretty sure this has mostly to do with the LFG Terra Luna crap. Okay, so... We might as well go ahead and get into it. Before we start, though, uh, this is probably going to be a shorter show. I got somewhere to be. I'm going to go hang out with Texas Slim in a little bit, uh, and I want to make sure that I get there so we have uh, some uh, good time to talk. Don't want to be late. Anyway, <clears throat> let's start talking about this Luna shit again. I know. It's a shit coin. And honestly, there's obvious... There's, there's really no reason in the world to have yet one more stable coin. It's like, it is a, if you, if you're somebody who uses stable coins, I'm not going to, I'm not going to shit all over you. If you use Tether or USDC, you know, for whatever reason that you use it for, it, it clearly has some utility. Otherwise they, these things wouldn't have been around for years at this point, years. This whole UST thing is relatively a newcomer on the scene. And the question becomes, why? Well, I, I know why. Du Quan wants a, a metric shit ton of money. And he doesn't really care whether or not you get hurt in the process. So they do this whole releasing this, this new stable coin whose problem it solves has already been solved. Everybody that has got that has gone into this whole Luna algorithmic stablecoin peg bullshit has basically been rug pulled. Now the token itself, UST, is starting to regain its peg, but it's nowhere close to a dollar. I mean, I think it's at 92 cents right now, something like that. And there everybody that I've seen is like Hey man, this the, the peg's gonna we're we're gonna repeg to a dollar. Well, if you lost thirty three percent of your peg inside of twenty four hours, why would anybody trust this thing? And again, I guess they're you know P, Duquan is I don't know hanging his hat on on the fact that people are you know many you know, enough people are stupid enough that he's going to get smoking rich out of the whole damn deal. That's the only thing that I can figure. But we've got this piece starting us off from Sam Rule, Bitcoin Magazine. LFG Bitcoin reserves at risk as UST dollar peg collapses. And my God almighty, did it collapse. What's been developing over the weekend and has been amplified today 
is the depegging of the Terra stablecoin to the US dollar now with Terra currently trading at 85 cents. Okay, pausing here just to say as of right now, it's actually like more like 92 cents, but whatever. Many of these market dynamics have been playing out in near real time today as the situation worsens and will likely change again over the next 24 hours. It started with billions of dollars in UST leaving the high yield anchor protocol over the weekend and turned into a full-on digital bank run. UST relies on the Luna token to maintain its price through algorithmic minting and burning mechanics. Through this method, an arbitrage opportunity is created when UST is off of its $1 peg. Traders can burn Luna and create new UST when UST is priced over $1 and profit. When UST is below $1, UST gets burned and Luna is minted to help stabilize the peg. Yet, as UST has suffered a blow to demand and liquidity, Luna has fallen nearly 26% in just one day, while BTC is down nearly 8%. Why this matters for Bitcoin is because the centralized Luna Foundation Guard, LFG, has accumulated 42,530 Bitcoin, 1.275 billion at a $30,000 price. As reserves to be used in these exact situations to defend the UST peg when it sustains below the $1 level. And currently, that is exactly what they are attempting to do. As a response, the LFG voted earlier today to loan out $750 million of Bitcoin and $750 million of UST to over-the-counter trading firms in efforts to help sustain the UST peg. Sounds like panic. Later in the day, the LFG announced a withdrawal of nearly 37,000 BTC to loan out to market makers, highlighting that it is currently being used to buy this shitty UST. I mean, they're, tr they're literally selling Bitcoin to defend this fucking thing. If that, that doesn't make any sense. Most times when you're going to rug pull somebody, you just keep the BTC and let your project fall through the floor. And then next thing you know, you're on a Gulfstream 5 and jetting off somewhere else. Whatever. <clears throat> Continuing on. Now the main risk to the market is that the biggest buyer of Bitcoin over the last couple of months will now become the market's biggest forced seller. The market expectations and potential selling have certainly played a role in Bitcoin's historic sell-off today, but it comes at the same time that broader equity markets have been selling off in tandem. Bitcoin's correlation to broader equity indexes and tech stocks is at historic highs and is following the same market dynamics since November of 2021. As a result of the rise in global interest rates, 40-year high inflation, deteriorating growth, and a macro credit sell-off, and unwinding and unfolding, we've been highlighting these dynamics and the larger market risks at hand for months. So there is, that's the end of the article. There, there's a, a, this is sort of like a perfect storm that you're going to have to ride out. If you have any compunction to stay then you literally have to hold during one of the hardest times ever because we have, even without this whole Luna mess, you've got a tandem play going on between Bitcoin and the general markets. And everybody right now is running to the US dollar. I mean, you saw it. I mean, markets were in a bloodbath yesterday. And I'm talking traditional financial markets. 
commodities ended up, you know, basically like I, I checked it uh, in the afternoon. Everything was solid red except bond prices. Everything was solid red except bonds. I mean, all energy futures down, all agricultural down, all indices down. Everything was down. Not a single winner in that in that entire group on CNBC markets and commodities or futures and commodities. So right now, and it has been like, you know, like this guy is saying since November of 2021, Bitcoin has been fairly tied to the markets. Sometimes it doesn't do that. Sometimes it does. Right now it is. Everybody's freaking out and running to the dollar. Why? Well, we all know that the dollar sucks, but it's the least sucky shitcoin of all the fiat shitcoins that there that there is. So, all fiat will collapse into the United States dollar before the dollar itself collapses. Because again, the United States dollar is the least shitty of all fiat currency and man, god, that's saying something, isn't it? Cuz it if the U.S. dollar is the least shitty of all these currencies, man, I'd hate to be holding anything other than the U.S. dollar if I was a no-coiner. That's that's the whole point. If you're a no-coiner, you're getting out of everything, and the only thing that you understand is U.S. dollars. Well, right now, Bitcoin is tied to that, and there's a lot of people that do hold Bitcoin that don't understand it, so they literally might as well be no-coiners themselves. So they're, quote-unquote, risk-offing themselves and going into the dollar. Everybody's just packing dollars right now. The only problem is, is that you're literally buying ice cubes in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Doesn't make a lot of sense. But it, the only way that it makes sense is that it's the least meltiest ice cube that there is. I don't know. But we have a further thing about this Luna coming from Arjit Sarkar out of Cointelegraph. This sell-off is so bad that Binance temporarily suspends Luna UST withdrawals, citing network congestion. Bullshit. It's com that's so completely transparent on Binance's side. Don't trust Binance, guys. <clears throat> As the crypto community still tries to decipher Terra's ongoing pegging D pegging fiasco in relation to its stablecoin offering Terra USD or UST token, Major crypto exchange Binance temporarily suspended the withdrawals of Luna and UST on Tuesday. The market value of UST, Terra's stablecoin offering, recently fell below the expected $1 price point as Luna's price witnessed a sharp decline owing to a major sell-off. At the same time, the BTC-UST trading pair on Binance reached highs of more than 42000 while other Bitcoin dollar markets struggled to preserve 30,000 as reported by Cointelegraph. As a reactionary measure against the ongoing uncertainty within the Terra ecosystem, Binance suspended all withdrawals for Luna and UST tokens for six hours between midnight and 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, citing a high volume of pending withdrawal transactions. According to Binance, the high volume of pending UST transactions is due to network slowness and congestion. While acknowledging the possible inconveniences to its investors, Binance stated, quote, Binance will reopen withdrawals for these tokens once we deem the network to be stable and the volume of pending withdrawals has reduced. We will not notify users in a further announcement. 
we will not notify users in a further announcement. They're not going to tell you when they do this shit, dude. <laughs> Crypto Twitter, however, reacted to Binance's announcement by questioning the inherent values of decentralization that the crypto community stands for, comparing the move to a centralized approach usually sported by traditional finance. As users across the globe get barred from withdrawing their own funds, the community reiterated the phrase, not your keys, not your coins, and highlighted Binance's fund suspensions as one of the major cons of a centralized crypto exchange. On the other hand, some members of the community supported the move by stating the, that Binance CEO Sheng Peng Zhao helped many investors from liquidating themselves by selling a stable coin at 70 cents on the dollar. While Terra continues to find a permanent solution to the dropping value of UST, numerous crypto entrepreneurs, including Polygon co-founder Sandeep Nailal, showed support for the co-founder and CEO of Terraform Labs, Du Quan. On April the 18th, UST flipped Binance USD to become the third largest stablecoin on the market after Tether and USD coin, or USDC, based on market capitalizations. <clears throat> Cointelegraph's report based on data collected from CoinGecko showed that UST's total market cap had surged 15% over the past 30 days to sit at roughly $17.5 billion, which was slightly higher than BUSD's market cap of $17.46 billion. However, the recent turbulence across the Terra ecosystem has resulted in BUSD regaining its position as the ninth largest cryptocurrency in terms of market cap, at the time of writing, UST maintains 10th position in the list with roughly $16.5 billion in market cap. Okay, so the turbulence in UST over the last couple of days forced Binance to uh, make a secession of all trading of anything to do with Luna and UST. The, that, yeah, the, that stupid-ass Terra Labs stablecoin that we're, we're talking about. I, I don't know how else to tell you this, okay? There's, there's three things that are of, of utmost importance, especially if you're anywhere close to new. One, daily cost average. Buy Bitcoin once a day or once a week or once a month or whatever. Just figure it out. Whatever it is that you can buy, you buy it. You don't, I recommend not bulk buying, like in trying to catch the dip. Because that's like calling, that's trying to catch falling knives. And when you do that, you have a tendency to get cut pretty bad, right? So the way that I do it and the way that my family's business do it is that we just, we had just picked a day and a time of the day that every day or well, every you know day of that week at the exact same time, we buy X amount of dollars worth of Bitcoin, and that's it, all right? Now, personally, I get all of my personal holdings off of my buys when I have enough accumulated in value to make sense to me. Other than that, and by the way, I'm right now, I'm using, um, I'm using Cash App for that. So there is some accumulated wealth, not a lot, as far as you know, my you know what I keep on before I pull it to cold storage, but I don't want to like I don't pull to cold storage twenty five bucks. Okay, I, I I'm not going to do that. 
I'm going to let it go, you know, right up to my comfort level, which may be 800, maybe even 1500, right? And I understand that there is a chance that I can lose that $1,500 because they are not my keys. I understand that. I know what that means. At any given time, Square can say, you know what? Screw all this. We're taking your money. Or they could get a cease and desist letter from the United States government and then they cooperate with the United States government instead of telling them to piss off like they should. And all of a sudden, I can't get my Bitcoin off of that particular exchange. Because it technically, I don't think it's I don't think it's technically an exchange. Or I don't think it's like you should consider it an exchange, but technically it's an exchange. In either event, I wait until I may have enough value in there for me for me to make sense for you know for it to pull off. Okay. <clears throat> the second thing is don't trade shit coins. Stop doing this. It's just getting people hurt very badly. Most people get hurt. Maybe 95% of the people that are actually actively trying to make money by quote unquote trading shitcoin on speculative markets uh, are going to get wrecked. Five, well, 4% may break even and 1% is going to get rich as fuck. But guess what? They are never just some guy sitting out there in, you know, in the wind trading on their computer. What they are are either founders or co-founders or somebody who is internal to these particular shitcoins which means they know shit you don't and it's tantamount to insider trading and they know when to sell their stake and they know when to buy at the bottom because they see data you can't see. You'll never see that data, right? So don't trade this stuff. And three, if for whatever reason you think holding a stable coin is in your best interest, even if you're not trading, which that's what this one I don't understand. I, I don't get this whole thing. And I've I've just heard about it on several occasions of people just buying stable coins to keep their wealth in stable coins, even though they're not actively trading shit coins on speculative markets. That one I completely don't get. But if that was you and you were holding UST, you got butt fucked. And you need to stop doing this. They are not your keys if you are on an exchange and if you hold stable coins, I'm pretty sure you're just thinking they may be your keys, but they really aren't because where else are you going to keep them? I, I don't know. I mean, it's like, since I don't work with stable coins, I'm not sure if there's such a thing as, you know, being able to take your stable coins off exchanges. Maybe there is, if there is, okay, great. But still, why the hell would you have stable coins if you're not going to use them to do something else? And there was a lot of people that were just storing their wealth in UST and they got screwed. And I don't know if that peg is ever going to go back to a dollar. I, I think the trust is broken at this point. And to, in conclusion, honestly, you don't need that many stable coins. You've got, you've got Tether, you've got USDC coin, you've got that stupid BNB Binance coin or whatever it is that their, their stable coin. 
you've got like, you've got, there's enough stable coins. Okay. That market, in my opinion, is completely saturated and honestly could be taken care of singularly by Tether and USDC, either one or both. And all the rest of them, you can probably just trash. But UST, it's going to leave such a bad taste in people's mouth. I don't think it's ever coming back. That's sort of where I'm going. Now, through all this debacle, let's recap what one of the things that happened, or let's talk about one of the things that happened yesterday, um, is that El Salvador bought 500 BTC at the bottom, <laughs> or close to the bottom. And just as a reminder, let's go back through and, and, and talk about how much and when El Salvador bought Bitcoin. So their first buy was in September uh, of uh, 2021, 200. And then they bought another 200 on the same day. And then the next day on uh, September the 7th, they bought 150 Bitcoin. And then again, on the 19th of September, they bought another 150. And then in October, on October the 21st, they bought 420. And then in November, a month later, a full month later, they bought 100. And then on December the 3rd, they bought another 150. And then just for good measure, because on 12, 21, 21, they bought, you guessed it, 21 BTC. 410 BTC were purchased on my birthday, but I'm not gonna tell you that date. And 500 BTC was uh, bought yesterday. So they now own 2,301 Bitcoin worth over $73.5 million as of today. So you got a sovereign nation that bought the dip. Now, I'm sure that Paul Krugman and all the rest of the haters out there are calling for burning effigies of Naib Bukele in the streets of El Salvador. And if they aren't doing it yet, they probably will. But he's got conviction. You need to have that conviction too. Because this is probably going to be pretty ugly for a few months. I think we've fully entered into a bear market. And I don't think we're going to get out of it until after the next halving. And you're talking about a two-year wait, ladies and gentlemen. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. But honestly, this is prime stacking season. And it's going to be prime stacking season every single day for quite a while. Because the weak hands are liquidating themselves out of their own future. Now, <clears throat> making money and escaping poverty. Speaking of, Bitcoin and lightning in Mozambique. Joseph Hall, Cointelegraph. BTC is for all, for you, for Michael Saylor in Miami, and for 38-year-old George, a Mozambican family man who's using the largest cryptocurrency to make ends meet. George, who goes by his first name for anonymity, lives in a tiny village of Bomba, Mozambique, on its southeast coast. Since the COVID-19 pandemic stripped away tourism from the sleepy surf town, one of George's primary wage earners, tourism disappeared. Luckily, Bitcoin adoption is slowly swelling in Africa from the Central African Republic across to Senegal and further north. Mozambique is also showing signs it's warming to the world's most popular cryptocurrency. Mozambique is a vast Southern African country that struggles with poverty and corruption. Of course they do. At a GDP per capita of $448, let's say that again, at a GDP per capita of $448, Jesus. It's among the world's poorest countries. According to the World Bank, the pandemic pushed GDP per capita under the 500 mark in 2020. Fortunately for George, one of the surf camp owners George used to work alongside is a passionate Bitcoiner who took him under his wing in 2021. 
Herman Viver, the founder of the South African Bitcoin Beach-inspired project Bitcoin Ekasi, and crypto-friendly surf touring company Unravel Surf Travel has been helping George protect his savings and diversify his income using Bitcoin. George wears many hats to earn a living, from surf assistant to arts and crafts seller to SIM card salesman. He told Cointelegraph that he now accepts Bitcoin for services that he provides. Plus, he uses the Lightning Network to instantly swap between South African and Mozambique currencies via the BitRefill Bitcoin app. George explains that while very few people understand Bitcoin here, he buys and sells phone credit on BitRefill, easily swapping between ZAR, the South African Rand, and MZN, the Mozambican Metical currencies. Quote, it's the easiest way to exchange between ZAR and Muzen. It's instant and I've actually managed to gain more clients this way. End quote. While an impoverished nation... Statista reports that almost half the population of Mozambique does have a phone subscription. Furthermore, internet penetration in Mozambique is growing fast. More than 1.4 million people, about 25%, uh, came online between 2020 and 2021 as the internet now reaches over one-fifth of the population. Oh, okay, that was the increase in usage, 25% increase as the internet now reaches over one-fifth of the population. To bank with Bitcoin, all you only need is a phone and an internet connection. Given exceedingly high levels of corruption and currency weakness, Mozambique is in an unlikely potential hotbed for BTC adoption. Nonetheless, education remains the largest obstacle. George concedes that in the beginning, learning about Bitcoin was pretty difficult. Vivir helped him to install the necessary applications on his phone and to set him up with a Lightning Network-enabled em- wallet. <clears throat> they chose Moon Wallet, that's Moon with two U's, and he took the time to explain Satoshi Nakamoto's innovation. Here is Herman's tweet thread explaining how George swaps currency with the Lightning Network, and no, we're not going to read that whole conversation. We don't have time. <clears throat> Thanks to Bitcoin, George now avoids high remittance fees for border payments. He's able to instantly flick between currencies thanks to the Lightning Network, and he has effectively opened up his customer base to the entire world. George wanted to express his gratitude to Vivir for his assistance, praising the response he's received from the Bitcoin community so far. Quote, I'm learning a lot and Bitcoin is making my life easier. It helps to support my family and four children. End quote. Naturally, living nearby the world-renowned surf point break Tofino, George's kids are surfers and the eldest is a surf teacher. He concluded that overall, thanks to Bitcoin, as Cosias Sal Bonitas, which means thanks to Bitcoin, things are pretty. Okay, so Africa, Latin America, I can't, I cannot stress this enough. Those are the places in the world to watch. Whatever Canada does in the United States and and Europe, I don't give a shit. Russia, China, I don't care. Australia, New Zealand, don't give a shit. India, they're fucked for life, so I wouldn't give a shit about them either. Just so happens that all of the countries that I named are still less than half, (laughs) half of the land area of Central America and South America and the continent of Africa. Honestly, those are the hotbeds to watch for. If you're worried about what Western culture is doing with Bitcoin, stop and understand that if you can get yourself a new set of eyeballs, then you will see something more than you thought you were going to see. And that's going to be in Latin America and Africa. 
Now, uh, let's see. Ooh, can Bitcoin fix micropayments? I don't know. Let's find out from Emmanuel Alsika from Bitcoin Magazine. Micropayments were all the rage in the 1990s. The idea of allowing customers to pay tiny fees for physical or online products was thrilling and received a lot of attention. However, early micropayment models failed to solve the problem of incurring large costs on processing said tiny transactions. This is why micropayments never took off. And years later, uh, the idea that was conceived is still not working. But Bitcoin may offer, finally, a workable model for micropayments for business and customers. And let's explore how Bitcoin facilitates microtransactions and what benefits this technology offers. Micropayments typically refer to transfers below a specific value threshold. Think of a micropayment as a really small transaction or payment, like the $1.20 you pay for a cup of coffee. I don't know where this guy's buying coffee, but it sure as shit ain't Starbucks, because that's a $7 cup of coffee. Fuck those guys. Micropayments have received considerable attention from companies and researchers, and for good reason. They have the potential to unlock new income streams for businesses and increased value for customers. Let's imagine you visit Billy's shop downtown for a cup of coffee, which costs $3.20, but you don't have any cash, so paying with a credit card looks like the best option. Slight problem. Billy won't accept transactions below five bucks because the payment provider often charges a base fee in addition to a percentage of the full cost for processing payments. For Billy to break even, the value of the transaction must be higher than the processing cost. Paying a fee on your meager purchase would simply be economic suicide. The transaction breaks down with both sides losing out on benefits. You can't get your caffeine fix and Billy loses potential income. The latter point may seem trivial until 10 or 15 customers face similar issues and walk away empty-handed. Micropayments represents a new opportunity for businesses and customers to maximize that utility. Businesses can provide low-value services to customers without incurring losses. The concept also affords customers more freedom of choice and reduces barriers to purchasing items. Having understood the value of micropayments, let's see how Bitcoin fits into this picture. The idea of micropayments have been around for a long time, for as long as the internet itself, as articles like this one shows. Microsoft was one of the firms working on enabling micropayments until it scrapped all plans. Historical experiments with micropayments have followed the same principle. Aggregate tiny fees into a considerable amount before releasing them to the merchants. In most cases, the user would have a digital wallet where they could deposit a fixed sum and authorize withdrawals for certain payments. However, the early solutions faced a big problem from the get-go, centralization. Just like credit cards, the digital wallets used for micropayments were controlled by third-party services. This created security risks for users, especially if hackers breached company servers. Moreover, users had to hand their personal information to companies, giving companies the freedom to sell their data. Moreover, the minimum payment unit of fiat currencies like the U.S. dollar makes them impractical for true micropayments. For example, the cent, one one-hundredth of a dollar, is the smallest unit of a dollar, which means we physically cannot use it for payments lower than one cent. As programmable money, Bitcoin doesn't have the same minimum unit problem as fiat currencies. For instance, you can divide one Bitcoin into 100 million subunits to get a Satoshi, which is worth far less than a fraction of one cent. Bitcoin exists as a decentralized, secure, and trustless payments network. To make micropayments, you only need a Bitcoin address, which you can create in minutes. No company is holding your wallet or identity details, reducing the risks associated with using micropayment services. 
Finally, Bitcoin enables instant near fee-less transactions through payment channels, which we explain later in the article. Payment channels allow two parties to bundle several transactions into one, removing the need to pay fees on all but one transaction. A Bitcoin skeptic reading this article would have a hard time believing Bitcoin can be used for small transactions. Why would any sensible person opt to pay expensive minor fees and wait about 10 minutes to buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin? Enter the Lightning Network. I'm going to pause and we will finish this on the other side of running the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities uh, shit looking red again, dude. Uh, oil, West Texas Intermediate down half a point to $102.56. Britain North Sea likewise down a little bit over half a point to 105 bucks and 39 centurinos. Natural gas down three quarters of a point to $6.97 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline down 0.4 of a point to $3.62 a gallon. Gold down scant to $1,857. However, silver is up a third of a point to $21.88. Platinum is up two and a half points. Copper is up a third of a point and palladium is down just a hair over one point. Agricultural futures are fairly mixed, but it's like pretty much meh movement all the way through. The biggest winner today is going to be cotton. You guessed it, uh, 0.77% to the upside. The largest loser today is going to be rough rice down 0.62%. And uh, indices, Dow up 0.89%. S&P is up one and a quarter. NASDAQ regaining most of the shit that it lost yesterday, or some of the shit that it lost yesterday, uh, 2.09%. And the S&P mini is up 084 and interest rate futures are all up. Uh, U.S. 30-year futures is 1.23% uh, to the upside if you wanted to know that. Now, real money, obviously struggling. $31,794.59. 5.25 million BTC was sent in the last 24 hours. That's the largest number I've seen in months maybe even almost a full year. That's 220,000 Bitcoin being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 17.96 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.021 BTC or 659 bucks. Block times are low, nine minutes and 32 seconds. 0.139 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 21 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And if you thought that the miners were going to run for the exits, eh, think again, with a mere minus 1.33% in hash rate, we are still at 222.8 exahashes per second. Doge is at 11.1 United States pennies. It had a rally earlier this, like early, early this morning. And I think it got up to 15.7. And then immediately the people that knew better uh, took other people's money because, you know, human greed and all that shit. 30,290 transactions waiting on three blocks to clear. Looks like we've calmed down a little bit since yesterday. 
However, we are down to a $604.4 billion market cap, which is sub 5% of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 17.1 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,035,867.18 of, and 3,776 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at a mere $119.9 million, being run over 16,970 nodes, sporting 83,102 payment channels and 72.9% of all of it's being run over TORS associated 11,865 nodes, or at least the lightning nodes that we can see. And that's going to do it for vitals. Welcome to part two. Let's continue on with micropayments. Lightning Network is a layer two infrastructure built to operate on top of Bitcoin. Because Lightning Network uses off-chain payment channels, <clears throat> transactions don't have to pass through the blockchain, significantly shrinking fees and wait times. We'll use the example of buying coffee from Billy's shop to explain how a Lightning-powered Bitcoin micropayment works. To open a Lightning Network channel with Billy, you must first deposit some units of Bitcoin on the main network. Once this transaction is broadcast and confirmed on the blockchain, the channel becomes active. All payments you make to Billy get deducted from your initial deposit of Bitcoin. If the initial deposit runs out, you can choose to refill the channel with more Bitcoin. Otherwise, both of you agree to end the transaction and broadcast the final state of the channel to the Bitcoin network. All previous transactions are bundled into one and recorded on the blockchain. Although multiple transactions have passed through the payment channel, the Bitcoin blockchain doesn't record every one of them. Instead, it records the first transaction opening the channel and the final transaction that closes the channel. With this system, you can open up a tab with Billy and keep buying cups of coffee for weeks or even months. Billy wouldn't have to pay huge fees to process those small payments and you can bypass the payment threshold to get your cup of coffee every day. It's a win-win solution. <clears throat> buying coffee isn't the only application of Bitcoin micropayments, however. The internet itself is ripe for the introduction of micropayment-based revenue models. Below are some applications of Bitcoin-powered micropayments for online users. For content monetization, for years, online content creators have found it difficult to monetize content. In lieu of any sustainable monetization system, many have turned to digital advertising to recoup investments in content creation. But digital advertising has attracted negative coverage in recent years and ad blockers are rapidly making this an unviable income mechanism. The most popular tactic for content creators is to charge consumers subscription fees for accessing content. However, subscription models are not the ultimate solution. For starters, subscription models require a higher level of commitment from customers. If you like a product, then paying a subscription fee may seem trivial. Someone else may be unwilling to commit so much until they have a feel for what the service provides. Let's not forget, subscription models have many bottlenecks. Subscribers need to have a credit card, but getting one isn't the easiest thing to do. Putting content behind a paywall means losing out on unbanked customers or those who'd prefer an easier method of payment for content. 
Bitcoin micropayments can succeed where traditional subscription models and digital advertising fail in terms of helping content creators create revenue streams. <clears throat> Near fee-less micropayments, the kind Bitcoin promises with the Lightning Network, can allow creators to extract value from their work. A video content creator can charge viewers for second or for each second of a video that they watch. A writer can ask readers to pay a small fee for each piece instead of asking for a full subscription. Musicians can charge for individual song streams instead of forcing listeners to buy an entire catalog. This technology can potentially be the game changer for content creators struggling to make money. Micropayments present a better alternative to intrusive advertising and clunky subscription models. Now we come to online tipping. Integrated Lightning Network or integrating Lightning Network into social networks can make it easier for followers to support their favorite content creators. Users can keep paying out small amounts as virtual tips cheaply and quickly without the hassle of connecting credit cards. Tippin.me, T-I-P-P-I-N dot M-E, is a project using the Lightning Network to enable micropayments on Twitter. Users link their Twitter accounts to a Lightning Network wallet and can share QR codes, which anyone can scan to send a small tip. Users can then cash out these tips via the Tippin.me site. Earlier, we spoke of the problems associated with forcing subscriptions on consumers of digital content. However, the subscription model also extends into the realm of services that we use every single day. Think of the times you need an API service or a web app for a critical one-off task only to be hit with a monthly subscription offer. Just like the situation with the coffee shop, forcing users to make purchases above the, a certain value threshold hinders those transactions. With micropayments, service providers can process numerous one-off payments from users by making it easier for customers to pay small amounts. Online businesses can significantly increase earnings. More importantly, users can get full value for their money. Instead of paying for a full month subscription, which they won't fully use, they can now control how much they pay for a service. The applications of pay-as-you-go subscriptions are endless. This includes paying for software-as-a-service tools, APIs, serverless technologies, content distribution, one-off services, and many more unexplored use cases. For marketing and engagement, we have Brave, a privacy-focused browser has shown us the possibility of powering online marketing and engagement with cryptocurrency. Users get paid BAT tokens, oh for God's sakes, anytime they watch an ad, but they can also pay an inconsequential amount to skip those ads. In the future, sites may integrate Lightning Network to pay users that engage with content, i.e.g. watching a video Businesses can get better value for their content and users can get rewarded for their engagement. Again, a win-win solution for everyone involved. P.S. Don't use BAT. If you're using Brave, which is a solid freaking browser, turn the wallet off and just use it ad for the ad blocking. Because it's really, honestly, if you're trying to watch YouTube and you're not watching YouTube on Brave, uh, then you're seeing a lot of ads. I see no ads on every single video that I use that I want to watch and I do it through Brave there's nothing if I do it on any other platform I'm uh, somehow or another my other ad blocking software doesn't work so Brave is a, a rock solid browser but this stupid bullshit bat shit crazy bat token is just another shit coin don't use it go into settings turn the wallet functional functionality off that's just a tip Gaming is another industry 
that could use a well-designed micropayment system. This is especially important for indie game developers who may invest a lot of effort, time, and money into making games without any means of making profits. Charging a sign-up fee could solve the problem, but it'll only turn off potential players. Instead, game developers could charge small fees for users to unlock new characters, features, and access special levels. Because these transactions have reasonably low values, players won't feel like they're being squeezed for money and developers get rewarded for their creative efforts. Years ago, British mathematician Clive Humby declared data is the new oil. Today's digital economy is fueled by data, with companies investing considerably in data collection, management, and analytics. However, users rarely get any value from the data that business uses to fuel their operations. Now, with more awareness, people are looking to monetize their self-generated data. With micropayments, we can make this a reality. For example, website users uh, sorry, websites could pay users for their online activity. Companies could pay owners for data generated by Internet of Thing devices like smart electric meters. It could even extend to data generated by health devices like wearables. While the micropayment use cases mentioned in this article are experimental, they may reach critical mass in the not-too-distant future. Of course, the volatility of Bitcoin's price could hinder micropayments, but mass adoption is predicted to bring stability to the price. More importantly, micropayments could be Bitcoin's killer application. No, Bitcoin is Bitcoin's killer application, but we won't get into that. Bitcoin-enabled micropayments can be applied to many business models, triggering global adoption and increasing network effects. Okay, well, I agree with most of this. Some of this stuff is actually functionally wrong, but I'm not even going to get into it, okay? I mean, it's like we, we, all, we all learned about Bitcoin as we learned about Bitcoin. So there's some things in here that are not exactly right, but overall, micropayments are basically one of the many, many possible uh, use cases for Bitcoin in general, certainly not the only one. Now, uh, might as well go ahead and just mention this uh, since I saw it. More than a third of AMC online payments are crypto or digital, according to AMC's CEO. Specifically, I'm not going to read this, but it is written by Brian Quarmby from Cointelegraph. And we'll just read the first few uh, sentence, sentences here. AMC Theaters' Adam Aaron stated that crypto, along with several other digital payment methods, recently accounted for 35% of its online payments. So buying movie tickets is another micropayment type of thing, right? And that's going to probably get even better. I mean, maybe you get a, you know, like a package deal where you can like, I don't know, see two movies one after another and get a slightly lower price on those tickets. All that is much better enabled with something like the Lightning Network than it is with anything else. So just saying, ever since AMC started taking digital payments and, and quote-unquote cryptocurrencies, it now accounts for 35% of their, of their sales. I'm kind of stunned. But again, that's 35% of its online payments. But honestly, I haven't actually purchased a ticket at an AMC theater that is not essentially online. Even the little kiosks that spit out the ticket if you actually wait and get to the theater to actually purchase your tickets, I would imagine that that is actually through the internet and that's going to be counted as online. Otherwise, if I'm not using that kiosk, I'm using my phone. So I can almost, I, I promise you that uh, online payments are in fact 
the uh, majority of the ticket sales for movies right now. Now, uh, let's see, what do we got here? We got the future of energy markets, which is interesting. Um, the future of energy markets, according to Bitcoin miners, is written by Zach Vole and published in Bitcoin Magazine. For your pleasure. Most of the conversations about in Bitcoin infrastructure for the past two years have focused on the mining sector's increasing convergence with traditional energy generators and power companies. At the Bitcoin 2022 conference, a panel was hosted by this author discussing this trend <clears throat> and what mining's continued growth means for electric grids and energy markets. Let's get into it. Improved power pricing mechanics. Bitcoin mining is radically changing some fundamental aspects of the power industry. And with these changes come new obstacles to overcome. Quote, mining is fundamentally an innovative approach to consuming power relative to what has happened for the last 95 years. Harry Suttick, vice president of strategy at Grid, told the audience. In 2019, energy companies were highly skeptical and in disbelief about signing power purchase agreements with mining companies like Grid usually because of the sheer amount of power miners wanted to purchase. Sudak explained that his team would hear responses from power companies to the effect of what? We've only signed a deal that big once in the last 30 years, end quote. Today, those phone calls with other power providers are easier, but discussions between miners and power providers still can still improve in one key area, and that's rate structures. Quote, I think that the language between the energy company and the Bitcoin miner is adjusting to be kind of the same, Sudok said. I think the overall rate structure regime and how does the energy get priced and sold, that's where the next level of translation and education is happening right now, end quote. In short, everybody, meaning power companies, gets what miners are trying to do, but the mechanics of achieving Bitcoin mining's goals are still developing. There's still a lot of energy that should be bought by miners today that isn't yet because of mechanical and structural reasons, but those barriers will be broken down over time. Zach Bradford, CEO of CleanSpark, agreed with Suttick, quote, nobody knows how the price in that much power for that consistent of a load he said, referring to obstacles miners face when structuring deals with power companies. So how do power companies and Bitcoin miners remove these informational and pricing difficulties? The answer is simple. Prioritize mining specific uh, price structures to make it easier for miners to buy power based on their unique load demands. If I were a CEO of a power company, Sudik said, I would be pitching my board to put in place a Bitcoin mining rate structure to attract miners to your region, and we will be able to innovate on that process together and get there, end quote. As conversations between miners and power providers become easier and clearer, all the panelists agreed that the relationships between these two sides of the market will become larger and stronger than ever. As a result, the cities and towns that rely on utilities provided by companies that work with miners will be far more secure, reliable, and advanced than the same infrastructure in other geographic areas. Quote, I think we're going to wake up in 10 years and the towns and counties and cities and communities that have Bitcoin mines are going to be thought of in this incredibly positive, optimistic way. And the towns that don't have them yet are going to be recruiting Bitcoin mines so that they can have them there, Sudik said. For Sudik, 
One of the drivers of this improvement is revenue brought to these cities, not just from constructing and maintaining a mining facility, but from injecting new revenue into the local economy for power generation that previously no one else would offer. Bradford agreed, adding he expects to see greater community partnerships involving Bitcoin miners. In some of the cities where CleanSpark operates mining farms, for example, Bradford explained how they have directly invested in upgrading electricity infrastructure in those areas, which benefit not only their business, but also each business and resident connected to that grid. I think you're going to see communities that embrace Bitcoin mining thriving, Bradford said. Because Bitcoin miners want to buy so much power all of the time, the electric grid's current infrastructure needs to be updated and expanded at the same pace miners in the Bitcoin network's hash rate are growing. For the panelists, this, building a better grid, will be one of the biggest hallmarks of mining's positive effects on energy markets and the grid. Quote, what a lot of people don't realize is how fragile our grid is, Bradford told the audience. A key reason for this is simply the age of existing grid infrastructure, but miners, quote, can interact in a way that can improve grid health, end quote, he explained. And because miners are a unique type of power customer, their load demands create opportunities for mining companies to fund and build new electric infrastructure, quote. The age of our grid is a problem, and somebody has to pay for it. I think Bitcoin miners are very well positioned because of the profits we make and the incentives we have to actually improve the grid across the whole nation, Bradford said. Mining shouldn't be thought of as an exogenous force affecting change on energy infrastructure, though. It is the grid. Quote, Bitcoin mining is energy infrastructure. That's what it is, Paul Prager, CEO of TerraWolf, told the audience. And as power consumers, miners, and power producers, <clears throat> generators, become more vertically integrated over the coming years, Prager said, quote, you'll see massive improvements in the grid. Why? Because energy transmission is regulated and incentives are very low for outside investments in transmission improvements. But miners will invest in it because they want quality electricity so that they can mine all of the time, Prager explained. And this improved infrastructure will not only serve miners, it will serve everyone that uses power. Miners are heavily incentivized to provide good behavior into the energy market and the mining energy consumption profile more so than any other large-scale power consumer. In short, because they want to consume as much power as possible, miners are willing to invest in new infrastructure and demonstrate good consumer behavior to get the, the power that they want which marks a new net positive type of user in the energy market. And power companies at their industry's leading edge are being proactive about having relationships with miners, Sudik said. In conclusion, Bitcoin mining introduces a revolutionary way to price, consume, and build infrastructure for electricity. With aging grids and exponentially increasing demand for electricity, all the panelists agreed that the services and investments that miners can offer to power grids around the world will cause nothing short of a historic reconstruction of electricity infrastructure and an improvement in electricity generation and transmission for all types of power consumers. In short, mining is revolutionizing the energy market as much as it has disrupted currency markets. So there you go. That's a good one. Um, when you think about it, if you, if you were to look at energy grids 
in like let's not even talk about the United States energy grid, which is you know is for it is it's frail, it's very fragile, it's old, and it, now we got supply chain shortages in the short term, maybe the long term, but at least in the short term. And, you know, being able to get new transformers and cable and all kinds of stuff is being impacted. So the quality of our grid is actually going to decrease over the next couple of years. Now, let's not even worry about that one. Okay, that's the United States. Let's go to somebody in some country in Central America. They use electricity and their grids suck even more than ours. Why? Because they're a lot poorer than we are. And they haven't been building their electricity infrastructure out for as long as the United States has. We're we're at a point now where the only saving grace that I can see, because governments have, they blew their wad on infrastructure. They they blew their wad on making sure that the global economy didn't collapse. And when they did that, what they weren't doing was building out and improving existing infrastructure. So that infrastructure, no matter what this quote unquote United States infrastructure bill says, our infrastructure is not going to be improved that much because they spent all their money. There's not much more money that they can actually print. Oh, they will try, believe me, but it's not, it's going to be worth less and less and less. And the more that they do it, the more they lose even more than the purchasing power of the dollar, they lose their electability in the election upcoming in any upcoming elections. People are in the United States and other places are getting mightily pissed off at the people that are quote unquote in power. We don't trust them. We don't like them. They're clearly sociopathic and honestly, they should mostly be in prison. They certainly shouldn't be making decisions for you, but be that as it may. It will be the private sector that comes in to save the day. And when it comes to electricity, it's going to probably be Bitcoin miners. Now, with all that said, I am going to go have a cup of coffee with my friend Slim, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.